Are you ready for a Devin Funches breakout? I certainly am. I certainly am. We've only been saying Devin Funches is better than Kelvin Benjamin for two and a half years. <laughs> right? I mean, it's been two and a half years. We've been talking about this guy, waiting patiently for the breakout. When is it going to happen? When? It supposedly happened in the final game of his rookie year against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Week 17, 2015, Devin Funchess recorded seven receptions on eight targets for 120 yards and a touchdown. I thought that was the Devin Funchess breakout game. And then Kelvin Benjamin returned to the lineup in 2016, and Devin Funchess did not record a game with more than 56 receiving yards. He regressed in his sophomore season, but what's happening in his junior season in the NFL is interesting. It's encouraging. Last week, he logged a 21% snap share on just 43% of the snaps. So when he was in the game last week, Devin Funches was being targeted heavily. And he's running some routes out of the slot. 17% slot rate. On playerprofiler.com, we now have the slot rate adjacent to the snap share, as well as the player's route participation. So look for route participation. That's adjacent to the team pass plays. You can see the percentage of pass plays for which Devin Funches is running a route. Now, it's just over 50%, but I believe the Carolina Panthers facing the Saints, not the 49ers this week, will be in passing situations more than they have all season. Because who have they faced this season? San Francisco, Buffalo. So now Carolina gets a real test. They have to score points against the New Orleans Saints. And what's interesting is Devin Funches has an incredible matchup. We don't tend to overweight the cornerback matchups, but in the case of the New Orleans Saints, there's a chasm between their number one corner and their number two corner. It's a wide disparity between Marshawn Lattimore, their number one corner, the best corner in the draft. We talked about this throughout the offseason. One of the best players in the draft was Marshawn Lattimore, and the fact that he slipped to the Saints was a crime. He should have been drafted by the San Diego Chargers, or really any team, because you say, oh, the San Diego Chargers have two good corners. Well, where's Jason Verrett right now? Yeah, he's not playing. Every team experiences injuries in their secondary, so you can never have enough elite cornerbacks. And Marshawn Lattimore stands six foot, weighs 193 pounds, runs a 4.36, and has a 131.5 87th percentile burst score. He's an incredible athlete and was a precocious uber defender at Ohio State. He's still just 21.4 years old. He's one of the elite cornerback talents in the league, and the Saints were gifted this player in the NFL draft. If you're drafting any non-quarterback skill position players in the draft before Marshawn Lattimore, that includes Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, all of them, you're doing it wrong. Because when you look at position scarcity and positional impact, teams should skew toward the cornerback position early in the draft. And you saw what the Jets did, right? The Jets said, hey, we need help in the secondary. Let's draft a safety. No, 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 not a safety. You don't draft a safety. You don't draft Jamal Adams in the top 10. That was a wasted pick. You can get an impact safety in the second round. The Jets should have drafted Marshawn Lattimore, but they didn't because they're an incompetent franchise. But now Marshawn Lattimore, who has the length 
that you look for in a primary shadow corner. I think he's the next elite shadow corner in the NFL. He will match up against Kelvin Benjamin because I'm sure the Saints believe Kelvin Benjamin's the best receiver on that team, even though it's probably Devin Funchess. They're going to put their number one corner on Kelvin Benjamin. That means Devin Funchess should see a lot of P.J. Williams. P.J. Williams. Watching Devin Funchess match up with P.J. Williams makes me want to put on my P.J.'s. I mean, P.J.'s is the next level. I mean, we know we love sweatpants on this show, but pajama pants are the next level. You think you're doing great with sweatpants? No. no. Get those flannel pajama pants. Woo-hoo! I mean, P.J. Williams runs a 4.57 with an 11.36 24th percentile agility score. He's a non-athlete. And he's allowing 20 fantasy points per game to opposing wide receivers. His passer rating allowed this year, 137.5. Right? I mean, 75% catch rate, 2.4 fantasy points per target. How do I know all this? Because we have cornerback pages. A lot of people don't know this. Oh, player profilers, cornerback pages? Yeah. They're part of our all-in package. So many of you have the rankings, but you don't have the data analysis and you don't have the defensive players. So you don't get to see the cornerback pages. We have a whole row of efficiency metrics, productivity metrics, and opportunity metrics on cornerbacks that include the route defended, the targets allowed, the target rate, the yards of separation allowed, the burn rate. It's a cornucopia of interesting advanced metrics on cornerbacks in particular. And this dichotomy between Marshawn Lattimore and P.J. Williams is getting me excited about Devin Funchess. It's the right matchup against the right cornerback for a true breakout wide receiver to emerge in week three. Now, talking about the wide receiver cornerback matchups makes me turn my attention to the Oakland Raiders because there's another dichotomy. A wide disparity between Josh Norman, the number one shadow corner, and Brashad Breeland. Brashad Breeland has been the gift that keeps on giving to fantasy gamers this season. And I believe that a misguided Washington defensive coordinator is going to assign Josh Norman to Amari Cooper this week. Even though Amari Cooper is not their best receiver, it's absolutely Michael Crabtree. Michael Crabtree has been the more efficient receiver. And when you look at the advanced metrics, he's been better than Amari Cooper in terms of receptions, air yards, red zone, target share. So wherever the team is on the field, Crabtree's commanding more receptions. He's commanding more opportunities in the red zone. And when you target Michael Crabtree, you're netting more air yards. He's been a better receiver than Amari Cooper, period. And so far this season, yeah, he's been better. Michael Crabtree's QB rating when targeted, another new metric on playerprofiler.com's wide receiver pages. We have target distance, which some call air yards. We have target separation, so yards of separation at target. Dominator rating at the NFL level. QB rating when targeted, just on this new efficiency role we have for wide receivers. Number one in the NFL, 158.3 quarterback rating when targeted. That's Michael Crabtree. And he'll be matched up against Brashad Breeland. That's why on our player rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, we have Michael Crabtree ranked ahead of Amari Cooper. I mean, that's the arbitrage play. Love to use the word arbitrage, ironically, because it's a finance term. But when you're looking at the prices on FanDuel and DraftKings, Michael Crabtree's less expensive and will likely be more productive. (laughs) Yes, Michael Crabtree's the play. Go ahead and let Josh Norman take away Amari Cooper. And if Josh Norman doesn't take away Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper will take away Amari Cooper. 
because we're now in the third year of the Amari Cooper experiment, and he continues to drop passes. He's number one in the NFL with four drops already. In week one, he had three drops in the end zone. And Derek Carr rightly said after that, oh, that's enough. Okay, no more targets for Amari Cooper in the red zone. We tried this experiment, feeding Amari Cooper in the red zone, and it didn't work. We're going to go back to feeding Michael Crabtree in scoring situations. And what did Michael Crabtree do last week? Oh, just three touchdowns. That's it. Eh, Michael Crabtree doing Michael Crabtree things. And it's not a surprise. Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper are two of the most prolific wide receivers in college football history. It's not like Amari Cooper is having this difficulty usurping some wide receiver with average ability. Michael Crabtree is anything but a jag. Michael Crabtree has been an elite receiver for the last decade, going all the way back to his time at Texas Tech, where he broke records for receiving yards and receptions in a season. Michael Crabtree is awesome. And what's also impressive about Michael Crabtree is he's overcome the pervasive foot injuries, the broken foot, which often causes complications later, as we've seen with Julio Jones over and over again, going back in for the revision surgeries. Michael Crabtree hasn't had an issue with his foot for years. He seems over it. Lots of wide receivers never get over it. The foot injury is something that is a debilitating ailment that lasts for a career. So there's a lot to like on this Michael Crabtree profile, from the college profile to the advanced on-field metrics, all the way down to the injury history. He's an impressive player. So play him this week in all formats, aggressively. And when I say be aggressive, I mean be aggressive. On the last show, we talked about how Derrick Henry and Javorius Allen look like fantasy league winners. You need to be aggressive. You need to offer whatever it takes to acquire these players. I mean, go to the seasonal rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Check out where we have Javorius Allen and Derrick Henry on the redraft rankings, and it might surprise you which running backs they're slotting in ahead of because I'm projecting Derrick Henry to be the starter in Tennessee for the remainder of the season. I think DeMarco Murray has been Wally pipped, as has Terrence West. Just watch. Just watch. I said something similar on Yahoo. I'm doing an article every week for Yahoo, and it includes these embedded videos that I tape in the city. And I thought the YouTube commenters were as bad as it gets. That's not true. That's apparently not true. Because my articles on Yahoo are now getting over 100 comments. By the time Sunday rolls around, there may be 500 comments on this Yahoo article. And it's just nothing but criticism, right? It's just, you forgot about this, or you didn't mention that, or you're misguided about this, or you're a nerd. It's just name-calling and anonymous individuals trying to sound smart to soothe their own egos. The insecurity of the football fan is rampant. These insecure buzzards will do anything they can to feel like they're being heard, to feel that they have value, that their knowledge that they possess about these football players is on par with those of us that do this for a living. Yes, it's important to these people. Their self-esteem is entangled with their knowledge or lack thereof about sports. And that's how it manifests. You see it in these message boards. Why do they feel the need? Why? Hundreds and hundreds of individuals feeling the need to appear knowledgeable about sports. It's fascinating. I mean, it's why I'm here, because there is so much interest in it. But it really is fascinating how you can't, how many cannot just read a piece and process it for what it's worth. They have to lash out at the author and somehow prove to the world that they also possess valuable sports knowledge. Very unique to the sports media profession. So I'm feeling this now. It's fascinating. It doesn't bother me a bit. I'm just looking at it as a 
sociological experiment thinking, what? Ah, internet comments. I mean, this is Derrick Henry. This is one of the more obvious breakout candidates. But he's not the signature late round league winner. Oh, no, 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 no. The Yahoo commenters were quick to remind me that that player has already been identified as Kareem Hunt. And I just laugh. I lean back in my chair and laugh. And I say, do you know in the FFPC high stakes leagues I participated in that Kareem Hunt was going in the first round? (laughs) What are you talking about? Kareem Hunt had plenty of draft capital this season after the Spencer Ware injury, guys. I mean, come on! The internet commenters on my Yahoo articles and videos, I have a name for them. We'll call them Yahoos. They're Yahoos, right? They're just like they want to be heard, but they don't really have anything valuable to say or contribute. They're Yahoos! Perfect! Imagine if I had touted Mac Hollins, if I'd actually gone deep. That would have warped their brains. I like Mac Hollins. Mac Hollins was someone we talked about earlier in the season. There were two players with great height-adjusted speed scores that I thought were going at least around too late in Dynasty rookie drafts. Number one, of course, Kenny Galladay. Number two, Mac Hollins. Mac Hollins also like Kenny Galladay, a very old breakout, but that 109.3 speed score, 88th percentile, that's exciting. And then last week, he saw 27% of the snaps. He's starting to cannibalize snaps from Nelson Aguilar and Torrey Smith. And he has a DGAF quarterback in Carson Wentz. That's what you want. There's one of the few DGAF quarterbacks, someone who's not trying to check it down, a quarterback that's not just taking the safety valve throw. Carson Wentz is stepping up and launching passes into dangerous situations, which isn't great if you're an Eagles fan. It's terrible. But if you're the owner of the 6'4", Mac Hollins, yeah, that's good. I mean, the Eagles can't make the playoffs with Carson Wentz putting himself and the football in precarious situations perpetually. But it's good for Alshon Jeffrey. It's good for Nelson Aguilar. It's good for Mac Hollins. I mean, Carson Wentz leads the league in danger plays. Another new metric on playerprofiler.com. I love this show because I can just keep talking about all these new metrics, introduce you to all the new metrics we've added. Between the player pages and the data analysis, there's a hundred new metrics available. But many of you don't have data analysis and you don't have the cornerback pages, so you haven't seen them. But you have seen the quarterback pages on the quarterback pages, danger plays. These are plays where the quarterback is risking a turnover, whether he's exposing the ball to a defensive end who's coming around the corner for a sack. Maybe he put the ball on the ground and it was recovered by his own offensive lineman. Interceptable passes. They all count as danger plays. 12 danger plays in two games for Carson Wentz. Number one in the NFL. It's just crazy. But he's also number two in the NFL in money throws. Money throws are another metric we've added. Fun metric, an exceptional throw in an exceptional situation. So Carson Wentz is the NFL's next generation gunslinger. He's the new Jay Cutler. We have a new DGAF gunslinger and his name is Carson Wentz. And I love the DGAF gunslinger. We need the DGAF gunslinger in the league. There are too many quarterbacks that are content to take sacks or check it down. Carson Wentz is one of the rare quarterbacks who is willing to put the football at risk but it helps your fantasy team when he does that. So I'm buying Carson Wentz. I'm buying Mac Hollins as a deep league stash. But more than anyone, it helps Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, Alshon Jeffrey has moved into the top 10 on our weekly rankings, on our seasonal rankings. Check him out. There you'll find Alshon Jeffrey. Jeffrey! I just love saying that. Jeffrey! 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 
are you, Jeffrey? Come here, Jeffrey. Scoring a lot of points, Jeffrey. We have him higher than Odell Beckham Jr. on the seasonal rankings. Yes, we do. Why? Because he's tethered to a gunslinger that's not washed, and he has a working ankle. That's why. Period. The end. But the data analysis tool is amazing. Of the things that are included in the playerprofiler.com all-in subscription, most people want to talk about the rankings. I get so many emails asking me, where are the rankings? Where are the rankings? The rankings didn't come out until Thursday this week. <gasps> it's amazing the number of zombies that just email me these passive-aggressive emails. Where are the rankings? I can't find them. Yeah, no shit. They're not ready yet. Why don't you wait? Do you need to set your lineup on Tuesday? What the fuck? When these emails come in, they're agitating me because they assume that I'm lazy, that I've just forgotten the rankings. Yeah, I just forgot. I'm lazy. I don't care about you, the subscriber. Wrong. Wrong. Haven't I been reliable with the rankings for the last two years? Think that's just going to suddenly change? I don't get any benefit of the doubt from being reliable? Just extend me the courtesy, if you would, of assuming that I'm not lazy. That if you receive the rankings a day after you're accustomed to receiving them, that life intervened. Or that I'm working on something big. Just give me that benefit of the doubt. And then you go to the player pages and you realize, oh wow, look what they've been doing. All these new metrics. Then you go to data analysis and you're like, oh my god. There's 20 more metrics that are only available through data analysis that aren't even on the player pages, like carries inside the 10, carries inside the 5, game script for every position. So right now we have the game script for running backs only on the page, but we have game script available for all positions through data analysis. We can't fit all the metrics on the page as we continue to move this enterprise along. As this enterprise continues to move along the tracks, we have to make strategic decisions about what fields end up on the player pages and what end up going into data analysis. And more and more and more fields are being made available exclusively in data analysis because we just don't have room. So you're further and further incentivized to get data analysis and open up your mind, man. And all you have to do if you want it is just email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com. If you already have the rankings and you want data analysis and access to these cornerback pages, just email me and I'll get you all synced up because I'm a hard worker and I'm not lazy. I'm here for you, working overtime for you. And if the rankings are not available, just wait. Yes, it's been an interesting couple weeks defending myself against the buzzards. You are relentless. Had a buzzard from the Dynasty Football Factory come after me last night. Oh, yeah. Sitting back, sipping tea, enjoying Todd Gurley rip the face off the NFL. And every fantasy gamer who happened to be matched up against Todd Gurley last night, good luck! But yeah, someone I never heard of from Dynasty Football Factory felt obliged to call me out on social media, yeah. Call me out. Because his position is that it's the coach that has transformed Todd Gurley. That Todd Gurley's Todd Gurley again. Why? You know why. Sean McVay, that's why. Of course you know why. It's the coach, he's the reason. And I was called out. I don't remember by who. I really don't. But I was called out. Accused of saying, coaches don't matter. That's right. It's a lesson learned for Matt Kelly, apparently. Analysts like Matt Kelly are eating crow right now. That was the implication. And I wish I knew who said it because the person deleted the tweet two minutes later. I said, oh, I wish I had a name that I could call up and laugh at. Need to know the name of this person, this coaching expert who thinks I need to be held accountable for not giving coaches enough credit. I need to know the name of the person that lobbed a grenade into my bunker. 
an accountability grenade. And then he came in after the grenade, jumped into the bunker with me, jumped on the grenade and blew himself up. <laughs> That's the equivalent of deleting the tweet. I mean, you're going to tweet it. Might as well leave it up. Think I didn't see it. I saw it. It's too late. And I object to that criticism because it's a mischaracterization. <laughs> I've never said that coaches don't matter. What if I said that? Check the transcripts of the show, right? I mean, who would say that? Running off into the extreme with the absolutes, coaches do not matter. Of course coaches matter, right? I mean, we brought on Sean Siegel a month ago to talk about Todd Gurley and specifically how the coaching change did matter for Todd Gurley, right? I mean, that happened. I'm not imagining this interview with Sean Siegel happened. It happened, right? I mean, email the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Did that interview with Sean Siegel happen? I think it did. But nameless guy from Dynasty Football Factory who deleted the tweet and ran away clearly did not listen to that show. Because I agreed with Sean that in the case of Todd Gurley, the coaching change matters more than most cases. Because Jeff Fisher was not running a modern version of the West Coast offense. So when you install a coach who runs a contemporary offense, that moves the needle. Same with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco scored 39 points. Part of that is because San Francisco installed an offensive coordinator with a contemporary offense. Because Chip Kelly's offense was not contemporary. Chip Kelly was running a simplistic scheme that NFL defenses had solved so any offensive coordinator with NFL experience bringing a true NFL scheme would have been an upgrade over Chip Kelly. We just saw this happen in Cincinnati where the players had a mutiny and demanded that a competent offensive coordinator that's familiar with modern NFL play calling be hired. Just like any offensive coordinator coming to L.A. replacing Jeff Fisher's 1950s offense would have been an upgrade. And there are teams this year that are downgrading their offense, like the Jaguars. They've decided to downgrade. If you come out and say you'd prefer to run the ball every play, you're clearly downgrading your offense. Your philosophy is going in the wrong direction. You're a backwards organization. That was one of the reasons why... We were hesitant to draft Jaguars players, particularly in the passing game, like Allen Robinson. Sean Siegel also talked about that. When we talked about contemporary offenses, we talked about them in the context of the Rams going in the right direction and the Jacksonville Jaguars going in the wrong direction. One franchise pointed up, one franchise pointed down. These conversations happened. I'm not imagining them. And I've always said coaching matters on the margins. It matters less than most sports media gas bags claim that it does because those sports media gas bags have nothing else to talk about. They know the name of the coach. They don't know the name of the third receiver. They don't have advanced metrics on the running game. So they talk about Kyle Shanahan. That's been my objection for years. It's never been about staking out an extreme position that coaching doesn't matter. That's a blatant mischaracterization of my position. Yeah, and clearly mistakes were made on Twitter last night because we have an analyst who blew himself up on his own grenade that was meant for me. You have to be encouraged by what's happening with Todd Gurley. 28 carries, 7 targets. That's 35 running back opportunities. No other running back received a single opportunity. Last night, in a game in which the team scored 41 points, Todd Gurley logged a 100% running back opportunity share. This was the argument in favor of Melvin Gordon this offseason. If you're going to dominate the running back opportunity share out into the extremes, 
80-90% Le'Veon Bell territory. That's a running back you need to buy in seasonal leagues. It doesn't matter if he was efficient last season. In fact, better if he was inefficient last season. Because Todd Gurley was so inefficient last season, you could get him in the third round. You buy previous year inefficiency and you sell last year's splash plays. This was the mantra all offseason, personified by Todd Gurley himself. And here we are watching Todd Gurley and Carlos Hyde once again prove the golden rule of fantasy football. Opportunity is king. And year to year, game to game, efficiency is overrated. The conventional wisdom was after week one, Todd Gurley posts a yards per carry below 2.5 against the Colts. That Todd Gurley's a sell. You have to sell Todd Gurley. Sell high, sell high, sell high, right? Sell high. That's why I don't sell high. I buy high. I buy Todd Gurley based on the opportunity share. I don't sell Todd Gurley based on the efficiency in a single game. If we're buying inefficiency from a full season, don't you think we're buying inefficiency if it's putting guys on the market after one game? Of course! Trading for Todd Gurley after week one was the ideal opportunity to leverage the buy-high tactic because we've got a chance to see the opportunity share and the overall offensive efficiency. We got to see, yes, they're installing a contemporary offense. That's helping Todd Gurley. The supporting cast is much improved. That's helping Todd Gurley. The opportunity share is reaching the outer bounds of the running back position. That's incredibly encouraging. Those are the metrics to focus on. Buy high. So many people burned by the sell high mentality. We don't do it. Todd Gurley was a buy after we saw what this offense is capable of in week one. But the offense's improvement was not primarily caused by Sean McVay. No, it was not. He matters, but he's not the primary reason. The bigger driver behind the Rams' offensive efficiency resurgence is Jared Goff's development. It is the improvements made along the offensive line. It's the improved supporting cast, the weapons on the outside, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and more than anyone else, Sammy Watkins. Now the team has dealer's choice. Now opposing defenses cannot cheat up to stop Todd Gurley. The Rams have also faced some favorable matchups. All those forces have worked together to propel Todd Gurley through the first three weeks of the season. And all of those aspects are more important to Todd Gurley's success than the coach. My perpetual objection is this over-reliance on the coaching narrative. Because that's all the mainstream analysts know. They build entire narratives around the coach being the reason for team success. The coach is never the main reason. He's a reason, but a relatively less impactful reason than the supporting cast. Always and without exception. That's my argument. Get it right, random guy from Dynasty Football Factory. You'll never hear me say, absolutely, coaches don't matter. It's just a straw man that coach worshippers erect to smear me. Why do they erect it? Because their knowledge of actual players is so shallow, they have nothing else in their arsenal to use to explain performance other than coaching, scheme, coaching, scheme, coaching, scheme. The next logical question is, the question I always ask in these situations, okay, so you insist that coaching is the reason. How do you measure coaching? How much of an impact did the coaches have precisely? If you can find a way to measure it and come back and tell me without getting caught in one of these correlation traps where you're saying Norv Turner is a running back whisperer. Meanwhile, he's only coached Hall of Famers. 
Here's the incremental advantage gained by Coach X. Then I'm interested. Then I'm enthralled. But those metrics don't exist!